0: Parkview Church, blessings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to be opening God's Word with you. We're going to be in Acts 12, and I'm just thrilled. I'm so happy to be here right now in this moment opening God's Word. Acts 12, uh, it feels like it's a magical fairy tale of glory. It is unbelievable, and I'm so excited to be in Acts 12 with you. Remember what Acts is about. Jesus has been raised from death. The crucified carpenter from Nazareth is, behold, the Lord of all. And in his resurrection power, he strengthens his church and says, go be my witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem, and then to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so far, verses uh, chapters 1 to 11, we've seen Jerusalem, chapters 1 to 5, and then Judea, Samaria, most, um, mostly, in chapter 6 to 11. And then in chapter 13, we're going to see to the ends of the earth, so to speak. We're going to see Paul and Barnabas specifically take center stage, mostly Paul, as a witness of Christ and his resurrection life to the Gentiles, to the nations. But right in the middle there is Acts 12. Acts 12, and in a very interesting way, Luke sort of kind of uh, brings us back home to home base, to the church in Jerusalem, and we wonder, how is that church doing? And at first glance, we're gonna see that it seems as if the church is not doing very well at all. Lots of persecution and pain, lots of crushing by the world around them. It seems as if the church is crushed, and yet, the way it ends is that the purpose of Christ advances. And that's what this whole passage is about. In, in, in the crushing of God's people, the purpose of Christ advances. That's what Acts 12 is all about. That's why Acts 12 is in the Bible. Is so that you can be convinced by the living Lord himself through his word. That the areas of your life where you feel crushed, especially as you seek to live faithfully to the Lord Jesus in a world that is opposed to him. And I don't mean, by the way, the world is just full of a bunch of demonic monsters and we hate the world. There's corruption in the church too, but throughout the New Testament, there is a clear pattern, isn't there a principle? That as we devote ourselves to the Lord Jesus, the the culture around us does not value and love and celebrate the same things that we love and value and celebrate about our Lord Jesus, and therefore there is opposition and persecution. And in the midst of this, there is a crushing that we experience, and in that crushing, we think, it seems as if game is over. But in the end, what we'll see from Acts 12 is that Christ is advancing his purposes. That's what we're gonna look at. So let's look at uh, Acts 12, God's word together. This is God's good word for us. Let's listen intently. I'll I'll read the whole passage, verses 1 to 25. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and then he saw that it pleased the Jews. He proceeded to arrest Peter also, and all this happening during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Harry was about to bring him out, on that very night... Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to Peter, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, and saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And so he went out and followed him. He did not know... That what was being done by the angel was real, but thought that he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord, and they went out and along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand. Of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, You're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, It's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed, but motioning to them with his hands to be silent. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. "'And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, "'he examined the sentries "'and ordered that they should be put to death. "'Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea "'and spent time there. "'Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, "'and they came to him with one accord "'and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain. "'They asked for peace "'because their country depended "'on the king's country for food. "'So on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. "'He took his seat among the throne.' And delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting the voice of a God and not of man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down. Because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem where they had completed their service. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. It is true and it is given to us in love. And so open our eyes to see Jesus, your son, from this text. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, we would grab a hold of as much Jesus as possible by your spirit through Acts 12. May the Holy Spirit help us believe all that you promise, love all that you love, and obey all that you command. Help us become the church that you want us to become through this text. Help me come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ, first as a servant to you and to your word, and secondly, as a servant to these beloved people. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus, amen. Things aren't always what they seem, right? Things aren't always what they seem. It's a phrase that we use when something at first glance looks one way, but in the end, as we investigate more deeply, it's something else entirely. It's different than what we expected. Things aren't always what they seem. In my senior year of high school, I played basketball, and it was halftime in our first game of the season, and we were down 25 to 30 points. It felt like the game was over. People were leaving. Our coach was screaming at us. But things aren't always what they seem. We rallied back in the second half. We tied the game at the third quarter. And we beat them soundly in the fourth quarter. Things are not always what they seem. You see, at halftime, people were leaving. Our coach is screaming. And if you would have stopped right there... You would have thought, this game is hopeless, this team is crushed, it's game over. But in the end, things are not always what they seem. And here in Acts 12, here's what we're going to learn this morning. Because of Jesus, things are not always what they seem. Because of Jesus, things in your life, dear brother and sister are not always what they seem. We're gonna see this in four scenes. Verses one to four, God's people crushed. Verses five to 17, God's rescue displayed. Verses 18 to 23, God's judgment displayed. And verses 24 to 25, God's word advancing. I'll say that again. Verses one to four, God's people crushed. Verses five to 17, God's rescue displayed. Verses 18 to 23, God's judgment displayed. In verses 24 to 25, God's word advances. And the flow of this sermon will be like this. At the first, most, first portion of the sermon, most of it, will be a zooming in on the text, going scene by scene, uncovering what's going on here in Acts 12. And then partway through the sermon, we're going to zoom out, looking at the overall big picture, the contrast, and the pattern, and then making points of application at the end. So let's zoom in, going scene by scene, as we take a first look at this passage, and things seem to be really, really bad for God's people. Look at verse 1. We meet Herod the king. This is Herod Agrippa, a powerful man, grandson to the King Herod, who sought to kill baby Jesus in the first part of Matthew's gospel. He was a man of power, best friends with two Roman emperors, And this Herod had a huge empire of Palestine and Syria and other parts of the Mediterranean. And this Herod, in all of his power, verse 1, is laying violent hands on the church. And then he goes on a killing spree, harming some, killing James with a sword in verse 2, and then arresting Peter in verse 3 to keep his popularity with the Jews. And then in verse 4, putting Peter in prison with four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people, assuming That just like James killing him, he will then kill Peter. And all of this happening during the Passover. Now, as we read this passage at first glance, it seems that evil is winning the day. God's people are being crushed by a world around them that is opposed to his purposes. And if you are part of this first century church, it seems that the crushing by the world is the end of your story there in Jerusalem. And let's never forget as we read a text like Acts 12, Acts 12, we must think about our brothers and sisters in Somalia and North Korea and Afghanistan and other parts of the world where to be a Christian and to faithfully follow Jesus means most often suffering under unjust persecution from the government. And it's easy to see those things and say it seems that evils winning the day, that evil has The last word, that God's people are being crushed and the gospel is being stopped. That suffering and weakness and imprisonment is the end of the story for the church. Now, for us here today, maybe it is not the threat of government persecution. Most likely, it is not imprisonment for you or I. But like the first century church, it seems as if all hope can be lost in our lives, It seems as if evil is winning the day. We get to halftime, so to speak, of our life, and we feel crushed. We feel stopped in our tracks. It feels as if God's purposes cannot move forward in our lives. As we've seen our teenage daughter or grandson who continues to reject our wise and biblical counsel, and instead they are searching on Instagram or TikTok to find their identity, and sense of purpose instead of the wisdom of Christian community or maybe it's your work as you live with integrity in your workplace your integrity as a christian is called into question because you're making choices that are seeking to honor the lord but in doing so they don't add to the greater profit of your business and so maybe you're getting passed over for promotion Or you're the subject of gossip in your workplace as you seek to live faithfully to Jesus in a world that is opposed to his purposes. Or for others of us, we're seeking to remain sexually whole by the grace of Jesus in a world that has gone sexually insane. Especially with what is available on our tech devices or maybe others of us, it's seeking to talk about Jesus and his saving power and mercy to friends or coworkers, neighbors or family members and they simply will have none of it. I don't know exactly what your crushing is this morning, but like the first century church, we can seriously begin to wonder how is it that Jesus will advance his purpose of moving the gospel forward through our lives when James is being killed and Peter is in prison in maximum security with numerous guards around him and all of my life seems to be just a bombed out rubble of suffering disappointment, and crushing burden. Well, this is where we need Acts 12, brothers and sisters. And we need the whole picture and the whole story of Acts 12, where the Lord himself speaks to us a different word, that we are at halftime, and in the end, things are not always what they seem because of Jesus. Let's keep ourselves open to what the Lord wants to teach us as we look at scene two, verses five to 17. God's rescue displayed. Look at verses five to six. Peter is kept in prison. He's sleeping between two guards. Verse six, and Herod is planning to bring him out on the eve of him being killed. And in this place of being crushed and the gospel looking like it will not advance forward, notice what the church is doing, Parkview. Notice what the church is doing. The church is doing what the church always does. When our brothers and sisters are crushed in a world that's opposed to God, verse five, earnest prayer for Peter is being made to God by the church. A picture of beautiful solidarity with our brothers and sisters in their situation of weakness and what is crushing their lives. We bring their concerns and what is crushing them to the God of power, seeking his rescue and deliverance. And notice The verb, that earnest prayer, earnest prayer is being made. It's the same word that's used of Jesus as he's crying out in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, the eve of his crucifixion. And so the church taking on the very pattern of their savior, Jesus, in solidarity with Peter in his suffering, they are praying in total weakness under threat of a evil, powerful world rule. And yet complete reliance on God, get this part for you, through prayer, what happens is this. We get the picture, the perspective of what's really going on. At first glance, it looks like things are a dead end and the game is over. Yet through prayer, God gives us a new lens, new glasses by which to see our situation and specifically as we pray together for one another. Saw this recently with a gathering of men. There was a man who was just struggling, needing prayer in his life. And there's a group of men that rallied together, praying for him. That's what the church does, Parkview. The church sees a brother or sister who is crushed. And the church prays to God for the brother or sister. And look how the Lord responds. Verse 7, and behold, an angel of the Lord comes to Peter and strikes Peter on the side and wakes him up and says, get up quickly, and the chains fall off his hands. And then verses eight to 11, Peter follows the angel out of prison, thinking the whole thing's a vision. They pass by the guards. They walk through an iron gate on its own. And finally, the angel disappears. And look what Peter says in verse 11. Look down with me. Peter comes to himself and says, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me From the violent hand of Herod. I am sure that the Lord has rescued me. That is Peter's declaration. And then Peter again emphasizes the same thing, not only to himself in verse 11, but then to God's people. Look down at verse 12 to 17. He goes to the house and there they are praying. And he knocks and the servant girl's so excited, she doesn't even open the door. She runs back and tells everyone Peter's outside. They don't believe her until finally the door's opened. After Peter keeps knocking, they see Peter. And what does Peter say? He puts out his hand, probably saying, hey, quiet down. Hush, hush, hush. And he says, verse 17, he describes to them how the Lord brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And he departs to another place. You see, Peter gives all the praise, all the credit, all the glory to the God who rescues his people. You see, Parkview, at first glance, it seemed that all hope was lost, that the crushing of God's people was the end of the story. And yet, and yet, because of who our God is, things aren't always what they seem. Through a praying church and a powerful God, Peter is confidently praising God that although he faced crushing, God's power is able to rescue his beloved. People, Because of Jesus, things are not always what they seem. Do you believe that this morning, Parkview Church? Maybe you have not seen God work so powerfully or miraculously as setting you free from prison. And so maybe you doubt that God is working at all. But I wonder if you just stopped and thought about it for a moment as you look at your life if there are ways that the Lord is at work in your situation that is crushing you, evidences that he is on the move, that he is rescuing, that maybe he is changing your hearts about that situation, that maybe he is helping you see ways that you can witness to Christ in the midst of that situation that is crushing you. Or maybe he is changing certain aspects of that situation if you would just have eyes to behold the Lord who rescues his people. The God of the first century church brothers and sisters is still the same God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who loves us and who is at work in our lives. And I pray that the Lord would give us eyes to see it. So now let's turn to the next scene. Because just as God displays his power through rescue of Peter, he now will display his power through judgment on his enemy. Scene three, verse eighteen to twenty-three. Verses eighteen to nineteen. Everyone's in a mad frenzy. They wake up. Peter's not there. Herod himself goes and searches for Peter and does not find him. So then he goes and kills the soldiers, which was common in the first century. If the people you were watching escaped, then you get to receive the consequence that they would have received. So Peter's. Uh, so Herod continues to kill people because he doesn't get his way. Verse twenty-one or verse twenty. Herod's angry. He just kind of seems like this just angry, mean, evil tyrant in this story, right? He's angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They come to him for peace, needing food from his royal provision. In verse 21, look at this. And so on a special day, there's Herod in all of his glory. He puts his power on display. He puts on his royal robes. One ancient historian described Herod, that he was shining like silver. His robes were, were so magnificent, so resplendent that people thought he actually looked like a God. And, and Herod then, looking like a resplendent God, takes his seat upon the throne, the place of authority and power, and from there delivers a speech, an oration to his people, wielding his voice to speak his words of power, and the people shout in response, the voice of a God and not of a man. What a scene. What power. What a remarkable moment. The world in all its fame and grandeur flexing its power muscles, and it seems like the worldly self-exalting power is triumphing over victory over God's people. God's people crushed. The self-exalting world is victorious, going on its way, but remember, because of Jesus, things are not always what they seem. Verse 23, listen closely. And immediately an angel of the Lord strikes Herod down, get this, because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. There is a contrast here between Peter and Herod. Did you notice it? Peter rescued by the power of God as he is struck awake by an angel to rescue him from Peter from prison and what does Peter do he then goes and declares glory to God that God has rescued me and then you see Herod receiving divine glory and gobbling it up with all of his self-exalting heart and he then is struck dead by an angel because he did not give glory to God. And so there is a moment of gentle yet firm warning to all of us here, specifically for those here who have not yet repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus for rescue of your sin and newness of life. Because whether or not we stand in front of a crowd that's cheering you on as if you're the big deal and you're like a God and you're amazing, all of us, have the same disease that was in the heart of our great-great-grandmother Eve in Genesis 3, who like Herod was tempted to embrace the lie that you can become like God. Remember those words that Satan whispers to Eve? A voice of God and not a man. Satan wants you to choose for yourself how to build your life all for your glory, all for my glory. And that way of living might garner the approval and praise of human beings. But dear people present here listening to God's word, let us not deceive ourselves that living a life in which you consume all the glory and give God no glory and no praise, that this is a life that in the end will fall under God's judgment in death. This is the clear teaching of this passage. And so to be a real Christian is to recognize and to humble yourself in light of your need before the true and living God and to orient your life, however imperfect and however fumbling, stumbling way that you do it unto his glory and his purposes, and now your own. Have you come to the point of putting away your self-exalting glory and instead directing your life to the glory of Jesus Christ? I hope you have. But look at the next two verses, the summary, the ending, kind of the thrust of it all, verses 24 to 25. Herod has just died in verse 23. In verse 24, the word of God increases and multiplies, and it is alive and well and transforming lives there in the first century. And then Barnabas and Saul, then chapter 13 onward, they become the focus of the show in promoting the glory of Christ and speaking the gospel to the nations. Now, We've zoomed in now, we've seen the whole of of Acts 12, haven't we? Now I want to spend the rest of our time zooming out. I wanna notice contrasts in this passage and then a pattern. And as we look at the contrast and the pattern, we're gonna then see how this passage lands into our life in the midst of our crushing and God's purposes in Christ through our lives. Notice the contrast, Herod, the very beginning of of the passage, right? Herod is in power, killing. But the church is in weakness and is crushed, but is praying. Peter is delivered by God and praises him. Herod dies because he does not glorify God, in fact, stands as if he is God. Herod, the king, the voice of a God, not of man, he ends up dead, but Verse 24, the gospel word of Christ, the true voice of God is growing and is increasing and multiplying and is active and is alive and well. Do you see the contrasts that Luke is presenting before us? Now these contrasts are pointing out a pattern and I don't want us to miss this because the pattern of Acts 12, this was so exciting for me to see. Wow, the Bible. What? You ready for this? Acts 12 The pattern of Acts 12, let me tell you the story and then I'm going to ask you, what story am I talking about? You ready? There's an evil king who is opposed to God's people and he goes on a rampage to kill some of God's people. And he, in fact, enslaves and imprisons God's people and his people God's people, as they are so desperately weak and crushed, they begin praying earnestly for deliverance. And all of this crushing and this evil king, all of this is happening during a time named Passover. And then God sends an angel to deliver his people with a mighty act of power, and he rescues his people from the chains. Yet at the very same time of that rescue by an angel, God judges his enemies to death by an angel. Now, what story did I just tell you? Acts 12 or the story of the Exodus in the second book of the Bible? Here's the point, brothers and sisters. This is who our God is. He is the God of power who comes to his people who are crushed and he rescues them. Because these stories are simply echoes of the great story. God's people being crushed, God in his loving compassion rescuing them and at the very same time of rescuing, judging his enemies and all of this so his glorious gospel purposes can advance in the world. You see, the God of Exodus The God of Acts 12 is the God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Remember that on first glance, your life looks like it is crushing you and it is crushing you. And it seems that's the end of the story, but we need a closer inspection, not inspecting your life, but brother and sister, let's inspect the life of Jesus Christ and come back to what we have in Jesus You see, even in Jesus, everything was not as it seemed to be. The holy Lord God becomes a baby. And as a baby, a different King Herod is seeking to crush him. And this baby becomes a carpenter from Nazareth, God, as a man with no physical beauty or political power or worldly wealth. Yet this poor average carpenter of Galilee Claiming to be the son of God, teaching with authority, healing with a compassion, comes to rescue God's people from their greatest plight and danger, and at the very same time of his rescue brings judgment on his enemies. You see, what do we see in Jesus? We see the God-man who is crushed. We see the God of creation praying earnestly in the garden alone and suffering, the Son of God dying a death of total shame and weakness, crushed and annihilated by the world powers of the day, by Rome. Everything, as you look at Jesus on the cross, seemed so wrong. At halftime in the life of Jesus, you're thinking, game is over. As he dies naked, under judgment on a tree. But in Jesus, brothers and sisters, things are not what they seem. Because we are dealing here with the God of the Exodus, the God of rescue, and at the very moment of Jesus being crushed by the world on the cross, God is rescuing you and I from slavery to sin. And at the same moment, he is bringing judgment as he triumphs, Colossians 2 says Jesus in his death triumphs over our enemies of sin and Satan. And then three days later, God rescues Jesus, God the Father rescues Jesus from death in resurrected life forever. You see, in Jesus, things are not what they seem to be. Parkview Church, the greatest irony known to humanity is happening every moment of your life as you experience what is crushing to you and what seems to be, what seems to be the end of your story. Don't you realize that right now a crucified carpenter from Nazareth is the resurrected Lord of the whole world? And he is at work in your life and he is advancing his gospel through you and he is rescuing people from the crushing weight of sin and he's drawing them into everlasting life. Part of you, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, things in your life are not what they seem to be. Yes, you look at your life, you look at what's happening at work, you look at your parenting and your children, you look at your marriage or your sexuality or how things are looking, in the bank account, and you look like you're just crushed. But what is Jesus doing in all of this crushing? Verse 24, He is advancing His gospel purposes. Because the great contrast of this passage is that Herod and all of the worldly powers that he represents use their power to crush people. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we see the God who comes into our crushing and who bears our crushing on the cross and who dies and who is raised again to newness of life so that he by his spirit might fill you with his power and his comfort in the midst of your crushing. That's why Acts 12 is in the Bible so that you can wake up tomorrow and when you, your head raises off that pillow and what's crushing you lands on you as the first thing in your conscious awareness, that you can remember in that very moment that Jesus Christ is the God of rescue, the God who's gone to the cross and through the cross and resurrection, and therefore we can do two things as his people. In light of who he is, in light of that, because of Jesus, things aren't always what they seem. The first thing we can do is we can pray very simply. Verse five, what is the church doing amidst all the crushing? The church is, verse five, praying for Peter to God, to the God who rescues. Brothers and sisters, do people know what is crushing you in your life? And are there people praying for you to the God who can rescue. Second thing that we can do is we can praise. We pray, we're a praying people, and we're a praising people. What does Peter do? Verse 11 and verse 17, Peter gives glory, gives credit to God in the ways that God had rescued him. And so then we too, brothers and sisters, in response to the God who has at work, we too can identify ways in our lives that God has rescued you from sin. You can identify ways that God has rescued you from danger, that God is right now at work advancing His word, His gospel word through you into the lives of others. We can celebrate, we can give glory to God. Yes. You and I are crushed. We are. We live in this broken world. And yes, we get crushed. But brothers and sisters, in Jesus, things are not as they seem. Look again to Jesus Christ. Look again to Jesus, brothers and sisters. See him there on the cross. See him there, raised from death, reigning in his glory. That is the God of rescue that you are in relationship with. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would press home by your Holy Spirit the reality of who you are. And as we see Jesus afresh, Lord, that our faith would increase, that our praying would be earnest, and that our praising of you would be true, that we would be identifying ways that you are at work among us. This is who you are. This is, you're the God of Exodus, the God of rescue, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we give you praise and glory. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.